Eve Clayton Cornelius is our guest on Personally Speaking, a great actor and producer from the Broadway community, a man of goodness and faith. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And Broadway veteran E. Clayton Cornelius joins me now. E. Clayton was recently in the Broadway hit Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. And his other Broadway credits include Beautiful, Scottsboro Boys, A Chorus Lion, The Music Man, and The Lion King. In addition to his acting career for the past several years, E. Clayton has been a Broadway investor in shows including MJ the Musical, uh, Town, and Ain't Too Proud. E. Clayton Cornelius was the lead producer for the Broadway comedy Chicken and Biscuits, and he's a member of Broadway Inspirational Voices, a gospel ensemble comprised of dozens of singers from Broadway and off-Broadway shows. He's here with us today to talk about his life, his 23 years of Broadway experience, and his faith, the faith and values that sustain him. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, the Broadway actor and singer E. Clayton Cornelius. E. Clay, thanks for coming on our program. And I want to start with a question that you may have heard before, which is, we're all products of the family of origin, for better or worse. Your family of origin, it sounds to me from what I've read, like they did a good job. What did your family do right in raising you? Well, you know, I, I've, um, I've thought about that over the years, actually, as I have been sort of climbing to the ladder of my own success, or what we, what we would call our success uh, for ourselves. And um, I think I had a really good mix um, of parenting. You know, I, I think that, uh, like we had spoke about uh, sort of earlier, that, you know, I was exposed to my large African-American family and all that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And then I also had these really great parents who sort of never helped me back, sort of allowed me to do things, but they were always there for support. And I'm glad that I had both of my parents there mm. supporting me at all times. And I think that that is, um, you know, that's not everybody's situation, but I think that definitely support from the parental uh, area is really great for any, any kid, you know, to, to know that their parents are behind them with anything they do is, is a really great feeling. Was there any discipline in the way you were raised? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm kind of old school when it comes to parroting. I believe that kids should never talk back to their parents, that okay. they're always right, regardless if they're wrong. You know, um, I never spoke back to any of my aunts or uncles. I would never in a million years. I, I have an uncle who, you know, suffers from addiction from drugs. And if he said, take me across town right now, you know, to some place, I would do it with my mother's consent, but I wouldn't, you know, question it pretty yeah. much. You know, I, yeah. I would sort of go with the flow unless I was obviously in danger, but you know, I, I just <laughs> believe that my, um, you know, uh, what you call the people who are over top of you, your, uh, I don't know. I just, I just believe that, you know, all of your, Respect for your elders, basically. Yeah, yeah. respect for your elders. Exactly. My elders are always going to be correct, and I'm going to respect them regardless if they're not. So 
You know, I know one of the stars of uh, one of your recent plays was Norm Lewis, and I was amazed when we were interviewing Norm to have him, uh, every other word, he was saying, you know, sir, and yes, sir. And I'm saying, would you stop with the sir? He said, no, this is the way I was raised. Yeah, he said, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. said I was raised in a family where uh, anyone older than me in a, any position, I had to give a certain respect to him. It sounds like you had a similar experience, too. Now, now E. Clay has been, for our listeners and watchers, pretty upfront about uh, the fact that faith is important to him. And I'm thinking, you Clay, that when we had uh, Kelly O'Hara or Veronica Clark, uh, Victoria Clark, pardon me, they both said the same thing, that they found in the uh, arts community that talking God was not always uh, something that made them very popular, that uh, it wasn't something that most folks in the arts were at peace talking about. They have great comfort in doing it, and so do you. Tell us a little bit yes. about the background on faith. Why are you so comfortable being a man of faith and talking about it? Uh, I was raised in a church, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I grew up never being embarrassed of who I was and where I come from. Mm-hmm. And once we sort of hide, you know, sort of like praying at a table when I was growing up, or you know, you never really wanted to be, you know, that person. My parents taught me early on in life and in my family, actually, you know, never be embarrassed, you know, to be a man of God, to be a representative of that. And I think that carried that into my my life, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that makes you unique. That makes you special in a, in a very good way. And even though people may seem like they're looking down on it or, or they're like, what is he doing? I think they... Um, sort of admiring it in many ways, you know, we've had, you know, when I was younger and we would, you know, our family would hold hands and pray at a table, Mm -hmm. would have families come over and say, you know, wow, you know, I just want to say thank you so much for displaying that for us because we've been trying to teach our kids or we've been, you know, we've been, it's really nice to see that, you know, that people still have faith, you know, and, and, and still pray and still, you know, worship, you know, so it's, it's, yeah. uh, I've always held that close to my heart. So, and I do believe that there's a difference in doing culturally different shows like black shows versus a more majority white show. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that in the shows that I've been in that were majority white, that wasn't a thing for some yeah. reason. And right. then in culturally in a black show, you know, there's a, there's, they have on the PA there's a, at five minutes, there's prayer time on stage. <laughs> Yeah. It's a prayer circle, you know. You know, I've watched a million award shows in my time, and especially uh, for the the, um, the Tony Award. But I'm always amazed at how comfort, uh, how comfortable what you're saying African-American actors and actresses are when it comes to, I want to thank Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'm thinking, I'm not hearing this from too many white guys. Why is that, you know? There's a comfort right. level that I love about a lot of people in the African-American community. Let's go to something that's very much related to one of the hearts of our our faith as Christians is uh, to buy into the message of Jesus. And one of the key messages, it seems to me, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How mm. well or how poorly does E. Clay embrace, accept, and and uh, truly open his heart to wherever God's leaving him? I mean, 100%. Really? Uh, you know, I was having a conversation yesterday. I had a, a final callback for a very important Broadway show that I really would love. And I was listening to um, gospel music all day. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's a way that I, because it was so important to me, I really wanted to be in worship all day. 
mm-hmm. sub- subconsciously, I guess. Yeah. And I saw a friend at the audition uh, who I've known for many years, Brian Stoke Mitchell's wife. I, you know, Brian Stokes Mitchell, sure. his wife, Allison, is a really great friend of mine. And she was at the audition and we started talking about her son going to college. And and uh, I said, wow, he's so handsome. And he's going to school for engineering at Purdue. And she's like, yeah, you know, the village raised him. And she said, you're a part of that village. And I said, mm. well, thank you for saying that, but it's your child, <laughs> you know? And um, we were just talking about how, um, you know, faith and uh, praying to God will sort of like get you through. And even my best friend was like, just say a prayer before your audition and get you through. And, and mm-hmm. I put on, I found a song that really clicked with my spirit that I've never heard before. And I played it nonstop in the car with me all day. And I just felt like if I just kept that going for me all day, you know, that some good would come out of my audition or my, my world or my life that day, you know? So I, I am a 100% believer in that, you know, you know, we had uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell on and where he talked about the challenge for him of uh, raising that beautiful child of yours and that he mm-hmm. had him later in life and what yes. it was like to be a dad, not so young. And now, you know, anyone looking at your, uh, your resume, which is obviously available online, sees you working and working and working, but even in a, an actor who works regularly's life, there are parts that you do go out for that you don't necessarily get. When you know you're perfect for mm-hmm. a part, but you don't get it, how does E. Clay deal with disappointment, rejection, putting it in perspective when you know that should have been mine? Well, you know, I, I do believe what God has for you is for you. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, actually a really good friend of mine, it's on his voicemail when you call him. What God, what God has for me is for me. So uh, that's what he would always say. And uh, his name is Terry Lavelle. And uh, that always stuck with me. And I do believe that God never, you know, uh, puts you in um, the wrong place, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't get it, it wasn't for me. It wasn't his will, you know? So um, maybe just auditioning that day, mm-hmm. there has to be a reason for it. You know, maybe I made it down to the end because I had to impress the casting director for another project or, you know, maybe uh, I'm going to work with that director one day. And that uh, is only going to be sparked from this audition. Maybe meeting them and them seeing me is maybe going to be something for the future. And I think we have to always keep at the positive. We can't always stay in the moment and think about, oh, why didn't I get that? It takes me 24 hours to get it out of my system to tell you the truth. <laughs> you know, I always need to do something bad, like go eat something bad or, you know, go to the casino food, right? or something, you know. Um, but I, I think ultimately I do believe that if it wasn't meant for me, it's not for me at that moment in time. And, the, and something else is, is sparking from this that God has in store. And I don't know what it is. And it's much bigger than I am. You know, um, uh, when this pandemic began uh, for a parish like mine, 3,000 families, most people come to church. But uh, because of the COVID thing, we had to go online with mass. And now any given Sunday is eight, nine, 10,000 people from around the country watching. My, wow. my point is that it's a positive thing that came out of something very negative. In yeah. the same way, you are not just an actor, For as people know by listening to the introduction to our program, you're now very, very much a producer as well. When mm. COVID is such a, an affliction to the arts, mm. how have you been able to spin this in your own head, like to see the positive in a seemingly negative situation? You know, I, I stayed positive throughout the, the majority of the pandemic. It wasn't until 
we were getting to this sort of extended, extended, extended version of this. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I kind of started, my, my spirit was getting very dampered. I was like, ooh, geez, I, I really thought we'd be out of this by now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just always think, oh, this is just going to be a moment in time. This obviously is much bigger than me. You know, obviously when we were going through Black Lives Matter movement and, uh, you know, George Floyd and, um, uh, you know, the, the presidency and all of that was going on. This was much bigger than just COVID. I think it was mm-hmm. a perfect storm of all of this had to happen for America to, to be better, to get better in some way, shape or form. You know, there were a lot of things that were kicked under the rug for a lot of years and now it's all coming to light, you know? So I think that that was the reason why this was all happening. But now that this has been extended into this extended sort of version of the pandemic, you know, I'm still trying to find positivity in Mm -hmm. it. And it's, you know, we all kind of struggle sometimes about, okay, when is this going to be over? Yeah. How are we going to get through this? And I, I really just, you know, just try to think of the future. And, and, and like I said before, just thinking that there's a reason for all of this mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. There's a reason why, you know, my show that I produced chicken and biscuits fell to COVID. And there's a reason, you know, all of this is happening the way it did. I think without COVID, I wouldn't have a, a Broadway show to produce wow. and to be my debut as a, as a, a, a lead producer. So I'm thinking the pandemic in some ways, in some ways I'm like, ah, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. so I, I, there's a rhyme to the, to the reason, you know, now, you know, you mentioned, I'm glad you did the uh, killing the murder of George Floyd. Uh, Cause we've had to focus a lot on that in, in church life, mm-hmm. but I mentioned it because uh, the church has been saying for ages, you know, racism is a sin. But now for the first time, people are starting to talk about it like you're talking about me. And I mentioned that, though, because in confession, you know, a distinctly Catholic thing. But in confession, people will talk about all sorts of sins. It's the rare person who will say, by the way, I heard your homily on racism. I, I think that might be true of me. Uh, wow. For some reason, admitting it is is just so hard mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. Um, wh- what have you hoped that we would get from the experience of, of George Floyd's martyrdom and, and uh, hopefully an improved situation, not just in America, but around the world in terms of moving past racism. Are, are you, are you in a hopeful place or are you, are, are you pulling back saying, oh, I thought there was hope, but now there's not. Well, I, I'm still hopeful. Uh, I think shedding the light on racism, shedding a light on everything that comes with it, you know, stigmas and micro uh, microaggressions and Mm. things that people maybe didn't realize before that they they did or that they said. Um, And I think it woke people up finally, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I I think sometimes we are now getting carried away with it, you know, um, as a people. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, I think that we're now using racism as an excuse in mm-hmm. many ways. I'm not saying for everything. I think mm-hmm. people are now using it as an excuse. Um, meaning, you know, a black person quickly running to the race card and, you know, with situations, but not really thinking through things or not really dealing with, you know, the the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sticky sort of subject to even talk about um 
because I don't really want to say the, the wrong things as it's all very important, but um, I just think that it's shedding a great light on, like I said, what was kicked under the rug for so many years. And I think a lot of people, even though we're, we were past all of that sort of in the 60s, and I think people who are now currently saying, well, I've never did that to you. I said, I never said you did, but you're mm-hmm. learning from your ancestors. And, and, and I think mm-hmm. you don't know your privilege and mm-hmm. you have to allow yourself to realize how you're living and how you are acting and reacting to other cultures other than your own. Yes. You know, I think we all need to wake up to that. You know, in my Catholic high school, there were 600 students in each class, and uh, Charlie LaSista was the only African-American in our class. And I never thought much of it back then, but at one of the reunions, I said, what was it like to walk into an auditorium with 650 white kids and be the only guy who was black? And yeah. uh, I think now, at least I'm mindful of that. I don't think we were even thinking in terms of what it must be like uh, to have to deal with that, you know? Yeah. And, and you you certainly... I want to go to something related to acting and not so much producing, but I'm fascinated by it. We are certainly living in a, uh, a culture that uh, loves, worships, uh, treasures youth. When you're an actor, and a lot of, of your uh, people's appreciation of it comes from talent and acting and singing and dancing, but also, you know, are you young? How well has E. Clay put in perspective the reality that all of us are going to age, but you're in a business where youth is celebrated really a lot. So what do you do with this whole question of aging well? <laughs> Um, you know, in the entertainment business, youth is celebrated a lot, but I'm noticing when I first started, I was so young. I looked, I looked 12 when I was in my (laughs) twenties, you know what I mean? And when I was in my thirties, I looked more like I was 20, you know? (laughs) And now that I've managed to get to the ripe age of 45, um, I am seasoned enough, but now I'm finally finding this man that I'm kind of magically sort of grown into. Mm -hmm. And our business does celebrate older actors. And it's just if you're willing to transition into that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's always going to be roles for the dad. Like I'm going, I I have a commercial agent that I got over the pandemic. And all of a sudden I'm going in for the dad, like Uh, educated dad, you know. Right, right, right. And I'm like, when did I turn into the dad? <laughs> like, I, I remember being in, you know, the musical Hairspray not too long ago and playing a teenager. And, and now I'm, you know, grade and playing a, a father, you know, and, and going out for roles that are now what I am or what, what my age is, what my age range is. You know, I'm finding I'm going out for 30s to 50s now and mm-hmm. I'm not going in for the 20s, 30s anymore. So... Um, If you allow yourself to age gracefully within the, and be honest with yourself, I Mm -hmm. think that's the most, you have to be honest with yourself that, you know what, I love my age. I'm, and I have to find positivity in that. And I, I have to move forward in a great way with that. And if you embrace it, then your industry will embrace it. Whatever industry you're in, you know, Mm -hmm. will embrace that. I think, I mean, for my industry. I had uh, seen Ain't Too Proud, loved it, but I have to admit that when I watched it, I thought to myself, I want the secret of whatever they're drinking, that these guys up there can do eight shows a week and not like be completely burnt out. So having been on the Broadway stage and done that kind of thing, what's the secret of of the energy level you need to make it fresh, 
for every kid sitting out there for whom this might be their first Broadway play. And even though you've done it a hundred times, for them, it's yeah. got to be fresh. How do you do it? Well, it's one, it's something I love to do. So, you know, it's, it's my passion, you know, and, or it, it definitely was my passion for a lot of the years. Now that my passion is actually changing, mm -hmm. but um, you know, you have to learn. And I think you just get this by experience or, or training, you know, as you train in theater that you have to learn how to pace yourself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know that you have these eight shows and as you're rehearsing a show, you know what you have to hit mark wise choreography wise or scene wise. And then there's those downtimes when you're not up front okay. where I can take a pause and maybe not give my 100% because it's not my turn to. And, um, you know, you just have to learn how to pace yourself as an actor, as a singer, can't overutilize your voice. You have to really know how, you know, and I think that comes from training and experience of, of really getting through eight shows, you know. You become this very successful actor and dancer and, and singer. And uh, here's what I'm wondering. When people start blowing smoke up your dress, telling you how great you are, what does E. Clay do to stay humble? You know, I have a great story about that. Hmm. Uh, just, just getting into that. So when I was doing Lion King, there was a good friend of mine, and I won't say who she is, <laughs> um, who... You know, there was a time where because I was working so much and I was sort of still in my 20s, maybe early 30s, I got to a point where my ego sort of got out of the got out of control a little bit. Okay. And it was her birthday, I think. And we were going to the bar and I said something that really annoyed her. And she just let me have it with <laughs> a wallop of what she felt about me and how I've treated her. Wow. And it was all due to just being humble uh, rather than sort of like prouncing around like I was some, you know, hot kid. Mm -hmm. And um, that really hit me. That one conversation that I had with her yeah. totally shut me down for a good while. And I instantly started to become a, way more humble. I hate talking about myself anymore. I don't like to boast when I'm out in uh, public, my mother does. Like when I'm with my mom, she's always <laughs> like, oh, you know, we could be at the grocery store and she's telling someone who we don't even know about my Broadway shows. I'm like, mom, stop, stop. You know, but um, I try to just live a normal life. You know, I, I've had all these expectations of wanting to be a star when I was younger. And now I just want to be a working actor. I just want to be, yeah. I want to make a difference. I, I don't want to necessarily be a star in anything. I just want to be able to live a good life and obviously be well off and just live a great life in New York City and do the things that I'm doing. You know, I want to be a working actor and a producer and an investor now. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. now reaching to other heights. And um, when you live in the moment, then all of a sudden God opens up these other doors, windows that, that you never thought possible. But I was living beyond myself then. And now I'm just okay. trying to live more in the moment. Clay, you should know, by the way, I am the caretaker for my 101-year-old mother who is still telling people how great I am. So <laughs> your, mo <laughs> your mother may be doing that for the rest of your life. Last question, I promise, but uh, we know of your life in the arts, singer, dancer, actor, but could you, in a capsule, tell people, because most people don't know, what does a producer do? 
Uh, well, uh, it depends on what type of producer. There's co-producers and um, then there's lead producers on a show. But essentially, um, a co-producer raises money for mm -hmm. production, uh, raises funds. So we get investors and we raise towards a capital for the show. Mm -hmm. So if a show is worth maybe $5 million, then as a co-producer, you are um, uh, sort of... Uh, required to raise a certain amount of money towards the show. And that's basically what your duty is, you know, and to sell the show and, and, and get the, the money or the funds from investors to raise for the capital towards the capital. And a lead producer would be more creative. You know, you're putting all, you're putting the show, you're helping to put the show on a platform. You're helping to mm -hmm. get the show, you know, in that theater or on Broadway. And you're, um, you're creating the budget. You're creating the, the departments you're hiring everybody you know what i mean to to you're you're basically creating the show from the inside out um it's your duty to sort of get the director get the show get every everybody on board get the co-producers on board and you can obviously raise funds you're raising funds essentially as well so it's, it's your job to get that sounds capital. like challenging work it is very challenging work and mm -hmm. i'm learning so much <laughs> um, being thrown into the position of, of being one of the lead producers on chicken and biscuits, for example, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Hunter Arnold, who is a more experienced producer and has been out here uh, in, in so many different um, uh, great um, productions. Uh, I've learned so much just under his wing and, and, and learning how it all kind of happens. And um, I I'm grateful for that. And I think that that was, one of the reasons why, you know, this show happened is yeah. because it, it gave me such a learning curve now that I can take that into the next production. You know what I mean? Right. Well, hopefully yeah. get that back up because it should get more attention than it got because of COVID. It yeah. Didn't... Yeah. Yeah. We just released the licensing for it. So all okay, the theaters good. around the country can start to produce chicken and biscuits. Excellent. So it may be around yeah. for a long, long time. So that we don't lose That's hope right. because it has a life of its own. I just want to thank you for being on our program. You know, you are so down to earth and normal and regular. You've had great success. You don't let it go to your head. Whoever that woman is who told you off, God bless her for doing that. God bless your mother. For, <laughs> <laughs> God bless your mother for telling you how great you are because you are. And and thank you. Keep on keeping on with the great work you're doing both as actor and as producer. And again, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. As we end today's program, I thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can get me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to see past episodes, go to YouTube and punch in Personally Speaking with Monsignor General Santi. And please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast, personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Or you can go to www.closeencountertv.com or www.ollmp.org and you'll also find there our weekly mass and homilies. I'm going to encourage you also to look on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Osanti. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. Please share and let others know about Personally Speaking. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer of Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.